Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Boy, do I have an amazing treat for you guys today. Today, we're talking with my friend Chris Brown about his story, leadership, and probably a little bit of personal finance. Chris is a pastor, speaker, and former radio personality for Ramsey Solutions, where he was the host of the nationally syndicated radio show, Life, Money, and Hope. He is now living with his beautiful family in Columbia, Tennessee, where they are launching a new church plant, The Well Columbia. I could personally remember listening as I would work at my dad's appliance shop while I was in high school, trying to get a head start on life and learn about personal finance and hope and just really listen to Chris on his radio show as a high schooler. So without further hype, please help me welcome Chris Brown. Chris, thank you so much for taking time out to be here. Yeah, I'm honored. Thank you, Trevor. Yeah, I um, was thinking back on to when I started listening to your radio show and I actually went back into my podcast because, you know, they'd put it on podcasts as well. Yeah. Uh, 2017. So um, I had about 30 episodes downloaded. So I was a mega fan. So this is fun. <laughs> yep. I, so I looked down at one point, just thought uh, I was going to start playing around with this whole radio and podcast thing. And I was like, oh, episode 568. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> how did I get here? No, it's super unique. And I've been telling all my friends about the episode this week with you. And I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna have Chris Brown on the show. And they're like, Chris Brown. And I'm like, not that Chris Brown. They're like, oh, the guy from Elevation. I was like, eh, kind of, but not that one. And I'm like, it's the OG Chris Brown, Chris Brown on air, which you can find him on Instagram and chrisbrownonair.com plug. But uh, yeah, like it, it, that's a very... It's a very unique name before everyone else started naming their kid that. So now you have to just take your space on, I am the Chris Brown. They could be Chris Brown too, but mm -hmm. it's just you. I refer to myself as letdown Chris Brown. I'm like, uh, <laughs> if, your name, if your name was Michael Jordan, just think about your life. Like you walk around, it's like you go in and check into a hotel or you, you go to get a rental car and they see their file for like Chris Brown's coming in. And then you walk up to the counter, they ask you your name. You give your name, you say Chris Brown, then they put two and two together. That look on their face, I get that all the time. Let down Chris Brown. So it you're is the, what it is. You're the, oh, that's the same name as that guy, but oh, they, yeah. they will know. They will know the Well Church in Columbia. So <laughs> I want to hear, I want to hear your story, but I really want to start with you're living on a farm now. You left the city to go to the farm life with your family. Um, what did that transition look like for you? What prompted you to do that? Yeah. So, you know, I felt like we were doing a little bit of the chasing the Joneses kind of thing. We told ourselves we'd never do that. But if you looked at our actions, you looked at the way we spent our money and some of our decisions, I, mm -hmm. psych, you know, just psychology, psychologically deep down that we were probably making some decisions just like everyone else, you know, kind of does. And you got to discipline yourself not to be like that. So we just wanted a different life. We wanted something unique. Um, I was watching the show called Heartland yeah. with my, uh, with my daughter. It was kind of our like uh, father daughter thing that we did. And I think we were something like 11 seasons in or something like that. And we just really sucked into that way of life. Love it. And uh, man, wouldn't it be great one day if we created a life like that for ourselves and so we went to go buy some land, wanted to buy some land near Nashville. Those of you that know anything about real estate know that that's insane and impossible. Uh, right now, it's just way too expensive. So we had to go out a little bit further. And we found this beautiful town uh, called Columbia, just an hour south of Nashville. 
where you, at one point, three years ago, you can get a lot of land for not so uh, much money. And we did. We bought uh, an old 200-year-old farm uh, that uh, had been abandoned for about seven years. So we got it for a really good price. And uh, we've been in it for three and a half years now. And we've restored it. Uh, restored is a big part of my um, my life and my um, calling is to restore things, restore people, restore buildings. I'm big into real estate and um, I like to restore really anything, restore relationships. Uh, I actually have a book called uh, Restored that's coming out in uh, January of 22. Um, so I just love anything restoring. So the farm has like sparked that in me. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun. So we love the lower, the slower lifestyle. And uh, we love sitting on the front porch watching sunsets. Oh, I love that. And when you moved to Columbia from Nashville, you're pursuing a little bit slower pace lifestyle. Did you have any idea you were going to be starting a church? No, no. I didn't know I was going to be starting a church uh, last October. So, um, you know, we, uh, January is when we actually made the, made the call, January of 21. And, uh, so we're only like three or four months into this at the time of this, uh, this is being recorded and, um, yeah, we, we, this is all brand new to us. We knew that we love ministry. We know we love people. We know we love Columbia, but launching a church is, 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 was uh, not on our radar at all. Yeah. And when you and I first connected in person, we were in, it was like a little, what was it? An insurance broker office. Or something yeah, like a that. tax accountant office. It was our first ever office as a church. Yeah, like when I pulled up, I was like, I don't see anything. It says anything to do with this guy, and I was like, maybe he has a tax office. I don't know. Like this guy's an <laughs> entrepreneur. He's got a bunch of stuff going. But no, it was your temporary church office, which you were planning on staying there for a little while, um, just to set the stage for you guys. It's like a little kind of uh, I wouldn't say run down, but it was um, a smaller office space. And um, the bathroom had a lantern in it at the time that I was there. <laughs> so you went from that a few months ago, and now you're actually working on your building. Um, tell us about that transition, because when I, I guess it was maybe two months ago, you didn't have that on your radar to have a building this quick. And now you're building the stage, have the screens, like everything's starting to come together. Yeah, yeah. And even like those of you that are uh, listening in on the video uh, option uh, for this podcast. You can see this like makeshift uh, thing behind me. This is this church planning life. You try to figure out some kind of like two uh, you know dollar store plants and a little three dollar sign that has the name of our church on a, just a real quick logo uh, for podcast interviews. So it's just it is what it is. So when we were moving into that you know small little office space, that's just all we could do in that stage of development. And uh, then God uh, kind of gave us this church, uh, 23,000 square foot retail space. Um, it's really, it's already built out, uh, for a church. Uh, it was built out for a cosmetology, uh, training school. It's where you learn how to do hair and do nails and do makeup and do, uh, massaging actually. And so they have all these classrooms. They have all this like utility space. What they didn't have was an auditorium. Uh, so what you were referring to, some of the work that we're doing currently is making an auditorium. So we had to gut out some classrooms and, uh, you know, make uh, raise the ceiling and uh, put in some AV and put in a stage and an LED screen. So that's the kind of stuff that's happening right now. But it's been a lot, a lot of fun. I love that so much. And hearing from Chris Brown, the pastor, it really just 
is a perfect segue into going, how did you get to who you are today? What was your childhood like? What are some trials and tribulations you went through as a young adult? Um, I, I want to hear how Chris Brown became Chris Brown. Mm. Well, you know, I told you earlier about, uh, you know, restored being a big part of who I am. And that's because I, I kind of grew up, I had a really, really awful childhood, lots of violence, lots of poverty, lots of drugs, lots of alcohol, lots of divorce uh, for, uh, you know, my mom got married uh, four different times, three divorces, lots of violent men coming in and out of the house, lots of homelessness, sleeping underneath bridges, sleeping underneath uh, piers, uh, sleeping in the backseat of cars, um, you name it, uh, the childhood disaster. We've, we've experienced it. So I uh, went from that Ended up going to a Christian college, and this is the really fast version, uh, because I could play baseball. I uh, didn't even know who Jesus was, um, but they said they were going to pay me $50,000 <laughs> to play baseball. And I said, I'll love Jesus for $50,000. I don't know who Jesus is, but I'm in. I, I don't know what Christian college looks like. Is it? So, But uh, God knew what he was doing. Two weeks into Christian college, um, I accepted Jesus and uh, met my wife there. My wife was. Uh, I was from the hood. She was from the Brady Bunch. And uh, so... Come on. Yeah, man. So, you know, uh, she has been a big part of my discipleship uh, throughout the years. Um, she was born and raised in church and uh, knows the Bible backward and forward. And and uh, so we met, at, we met at a Christian college, a Bible college, and um, our life has been amazing since. And so I feel like this, this uh, uh, polar opposite experience, my first... 18 years of my life was absolutely a disaster. And then since then, and I'm not going to tell you how many years, um, but since then, uh, we've had just this blissful marriage and our kids are healthy and got to experience God do a lot of things. And we're living that John 10, 10 life of life to the full life abundantly and really have a life full of laughter and joy and lots of ministry and fulfillment. And so I just had this calling on my life to help people find that in their life and point them towards Jesus and restore their joy and restore that, that life. What you know, a loving father wants for us. So many people in today's world are just living an apathetic life in a rut going through the motions. And it, it really burdens me. So I want to shepherd them and pastor them back to being a, I live in a fulfilled life. Even if they know they're going to heaven, right? I want them to experience heaven here on earth too. And so I want to restore people. I want to restore old buildings. I want to restore things that are oppressed and um, environments that are, um, you know, maybe even an evil environment, you know, something that some really negative evil things have happened in. I, I want to restore those and redeem those environments. Let's say it's a strip club or let's say it's just a really, really um, a, a bar that's got um you know, a bunch of really bad drug deals happening on the backside of the bar. Some like, like some really bad things happening, uh, prostitution or whatever. I, I want to redeem those kind of places. And so I'm always looking for places that I can restore and redeem that real estate uh, for the cause of Christ. So it really comes back to your original question is my childhood and how God has restored joy in my life and restored hope in my life. And I want to do that for other people. I love that so much. And one of the things I really appreciate about you outside of being a pastor and a man of God, and just, I could tell you take care of your family. And that's really encouraging for me. And I feel like um, any of the young guys and even girls listening, find someone that you can look up to, find a mentor, 
um, even if it's from far away, find people that you see like amazing things about and you take those things that you think are so amazing about them and apply it to your life. If they're living like Jesus, that'll make you want to chase Jesus more. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the really cool things you do, uh, you're talking about real estate investing and going into restoration on old buildings and stuff. I find that fascinating as well. I'm 23, a little bit younger than you. And just, um, I'm not in that space to do that yet. So like being able to see you do it, it's like, oh, that's encouraging. That's something I want to do later on. So that's even more of a reason to keep in touch with Chris Brown, right? And mm-hmm. I, I think it's super cool that you went to school saying, I can I can love Jesus for a college education. I can love Jesus for 50 grand, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but when you started school, how long did it take before you actually were like, okay, this Jesus thing isn't just a financial incentive. It's not just school incentive this is actually a game changer, a life changer for me. Yeah, it was actually just a matter of weeks. So I didn't know who Jesus was. Um, didn't even know anything about faith at all. I was just kind of like existing and surviving. All I cared about was survival to that point. And uh, I ran to baseball, college baseball as a coping mechanism so that I didn't have to go home. I drowned myself in sports, fall, winter, spring, football, baseball, basketball, golf, tennis, whatever I could. Um, to make sure that I just stayed away from home. And I was the first one to practice, last one to leave because I did not want to go home. So you do that for long enough, an average athlete can actually become pretty good. Uh, So I was good enough for a college scholarship, went there. And then uh, with a matter of weeks, because we had everyday chapel, this guy came and literally scared me into heaven, uh, scared me out of hell. And uh, I went backstage and someone, actually my baseball coach, walked me through uh, what it means to be saved. Uh, and I accepted Christ right there. And, and probably the thing that uh, compelled me to faith and being all in in Jesus is uh, the fact that I've always wanted a father. I've always looked to mentors and supervisors and teachers and coaches to for their acceptance and for uh, I've always felt had struggle with uh, abandonment and rejection and always looking for approval. And I'm proud of you. And uh this baseball coach in college was that for me. He was very, so he was, it was cool that he was actually leading me to the Lord. Um, but I, you know, that day I found out Psalm 68 says, I am the father to the fatherless and that God is my father. And I, I found a father that day. And for me, ever since then, I'm a kind of guy that's black and white. Uh, I am a three on the Enneagram, but man, on this part, I'm a one just black and white kind of deal. And, uh, for me, uh, as soon as I knew, okay, so this is, okay, this is my purpose here on earth. I'm, I want to glorify him. I want to bring people with me to heaven. Uh, and that's my calling. And for me, it was just like a boom overnight, 180 degrees. For me, once I find out something, I'm going to obey it. You know, I, I'm an, a, a rule follower. You go into a grocery store and it's like, you know, grocery carts go here. I'm going to put my grocery cart back. I got, I'm a rule for compact cars. If I'm not in a compact car, I'm not parking I, right and wrong left and right. Like I'm just that way. So once I found out, Hey, here's what it looks like to walk with God. Like here's your, your tithing and make sure that you're this, make sure you're that I, for me, it doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I know what the, is every time I'm exposed to another layer of uh, what a Christ follower looks like, it just makes sense to me. I'm like, okay, my father told me to do this. Um, still mess up occasionally, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I'm a rule follower. So some of the more obvious stuff, I just 180 degree turn on the spot. And, um, one of the things you can't control, you can control, like if you're going to be obedient with like, you know, premeditated stuff, but your thoughts, obviously are still very, very sinful human. 
you know, when those thoughts come in and out, we have, we have skin on, so we're imperfect humans, but, uh, I, I wasn't very black and white person. So that, that, that conversion was very fast, um, where I went into more sin and a sin looked a little bit different the next season is I became very pompous and arrogant and very prideful and very legalistic. And I threw my faith on everybody. And I was like, I turned into another human immediately and overdid it. And then I was a jerk. So there's different, you know, sin looks different in different seasons. Wow. And um, you're most known for your role at Ramsey Solutions with your radio show, Life, Money and Hope. What was the what was the transition from getting out of college? Of course, you had met Holly. And what are some of the jobs you worked leading up to this role with Ramsey Solutions? Yeah, so I immediately I graduated with a business degree and a Bible minor and went straight into teaching. Makes no sense. But <laughs> hold on to the rest of my answer because it does make sense at the very end. So I'm teaching seventh grade math and science. I ended up teaching all different subjects. And um did that for five years at a, at a small Christian school and uh, realized after my sec- my wife was pregnant with her second child that there was absolutely no way that I was going to uh, be able to pay the bills uh, at that particular school on that particular income. So then I went into real estate and that was kind of like my exposure to real estate. I had a lot of fun with that. And I was in North Carolina during a season where everybody was moving from New York and Florida with a ton of cash into North Carolina and just it was fish in a barrel. And so real estate went really well for me. And uh, allowed me to really build my uh, financial portfolio. Um, so I did that for three or four years. Uh, uh, yeah, three years. And uh, then Elevation came to town in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is uh, those of you that are familiar, Pastor Stephen Furtick is the lead pastor. And uh, he came to town and run about 100 people. And I heard about it, went and visited. And I was hook, line, and sinker immediately, jumped in, was a volunteer, still stayed a real estate broker. And then within like six months, they were running like six, seven, 100, 800 people. It was insane. And uh, they asked me to be their first ever campus pastor. And I was their campus pastor of their first ever location, Elevation Union, back in, I think, 2007. And uh, that went into 2008, I believe. And uh, then uh, God called me to South Florida. Uh, God called Holly and I from suburban pain into urban pain to get out of, we wanted something a little more diverse, a little bit more messy. So we moved down to Miami did ministry there uh, for five years. And I was the executive pastor and CFO there uh, for Potential Church, which is a church at the time of about 12,000 people. Wow. Uh, really, really enjoyed that. Had some uh, international campuses in uh, the Bahamas, also in uh, Peru and um, I forget everywhere else. Um, but uh, anyway, lots of fun there. Did that for five years, then resigned in 2013 and started helping churches all over the country. Uh, with my experience. And then right about that time, uh, just literally six months into that, Dave Ramsey, uh, through a search firm, uh, called me and said, uh, hey, listen, I heard you're not working at a church anymore. Here's what we're looking for. We're looking for somebody to be the voice of stewardship in America to all to the church specifically. And we know you love Jesus. We know you love the church. And we know that you love stewardship. Um, and by when I say stewardship, y'all, I'm not talking about a capital campaign. I'm talking about managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory being a manager for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And uh, I said, Hey, I've never spoken before. I've never done podcasts before. I've never done books before. I've never done any of that before. I'm underqualified. There's no way that you should hire me. And uh, so he hired me. (laughs) (laughs) He said, Hey, listen, he goes, "Um, I can teach all those things. What I can't teach is your heart. And uh, you're our guy. 
You have to have the ego enough to get on a stage, but you have to have the humility that it's not all about you. And we're looking for that mix and you're perfect for it. We'll train you on everything you need to do. So the next four years was like massive training, especially those first six months, uh, reading every single book you can think of about stewardship and, and dissecting all of his talks and learning from uh, all the best speakers in the country, one-on-one tutoring with all the best speakers. And all the, you know, of course, Dave Ramsey paid for all this to have access to all these just really good you know, uh, communicators that trained me uh, personally. And uh, my first ever speaking gig for Dave Ramsey. This will be funny. This is funny for everyone to hear. So I joined in January of 2014. In October of 2014, October 2nd of 2014, my first speaking gig was Gwinnett Arena in Atlanta in front of 9,000 people at Catalyst. Catalyst, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, anyway, <laughs> he threw me the deep end. And then from there, it was, uh, you know, 100 stages a year, you know. That's insane. And I'm sure being a seventh grade teacher kind of set you up for, you know, those events where people aren't listening, they're talking. It, <laughs> I, I assume that was good, almost just as good a training as learning from a John Maxwell or such, yeah, um, which is super ironic because you bring up, like Dave said, uh, we need somebody with humility, but also a little bit of ego to be able to get on a stage. And you've got the humility. When we were in your office, you're like, I don't know why John Maxwell wanted me to write in his book. Like, I'd like the, uh, a recommendation. I don't know why I reached out for that. So I know from personal experience that you have a heart for Jesus. You love people. You set aside time to meet with young people, which is great. Um, it, it's just, you carry this spirit of faithfulness, but you also just sincerely want to help. Mm-hmm. Um, when I would listen to your show, I never thought like, oh, he knows who he is. He knows he's big. It's like you weren't the one that was hounding people about the baby steps or telling them not to sell their house or uh, you let Dave handle that. And you were the guy that's like you would you weren't even there to do it per se, but you would just stop and pray with people in the middle of the show. And I found that super intriguing. And it was almost like, let's sit down and have a conversation about what what was it for you that made you just sincerely want to help people and love on people and genuinely be that person for everyone in America for saying it, even onto it from the Gwinnett arena, from one-on-one training with people did, was that something you had to develop or have you always just wanted to love on people sincerely? Yeah. You know, it's a little bit of what I'm for and a little bit of what I'm against. Um, Mm -hmm. so I really do enjoy helping people. So I'm a three on the Enneagram. I referenced this earlier, but my yeah. wing is a two. So I'm a helper. Yeah. So I, I want to achieve and I also want to help. And so if I can get the sense of achievement through helping somebody and see them achieve, I feel like I achieve, they achieved, everyone wins. So there's a little bit of selfish ambition there that I actually just genuinely enjoy it. Um, yeah. I also love... Uh, to see light bulbs go off and impart knowledge or impart belief in somebody and then see them take off. And then when I said I, I, what I'm against, you know, I've had an opportunity to live seasons um, where it was all about me, where I could be selfish. I could work 20 hour weeks uh, because we've structured our finances in a spot where I don't really have to work. Sure. I, so like I've had seasons where I'll just take two months off and I'll play golf and I'll just sit yeah. on the front porch and I'll, I'll drink tea in a rocker. You know, I've had that. And I, I was just miserable. Like I, I've kind of lived the like semi retired life. And I, when it's all about me and it's like selfish, 
there's no sense of fulfillment, no sense of purpose. I'm just taking up space and it's all about me recreating or going to get a massage or something like that. It's like, I've done that for a season and man, I, it is like 2% fulfillment. And then watching somebody get saved or get baptized or watch a family put back together or a, a relationship reconciled or a worldview changed or addictions overcome, that's fulfilling. Uh, yeah. So for me, it's like, yes, yeah, some of it feels real good. And like, Chris, oh, you're so sweet. Some of it just is like selfish. It's more fulfilling. Yeah. It's more enjoyable. Like it's the way to live and it's the way we're wired. And it's... It's funny you bring that up because a lot of people think you have to hustle, hustle, hustle. Like, you know, they have the Gary Vaynerchuk mindset on, I just need to hustle and get everything done while I'm young before I'm going to do something. And even somebody at 50 years old, they could start something brand new and learn and grow from that. But rest is key. Like if you're not resting, you're not going to be able to do as much. And a friend of mine, Brian said yesterday, like I can do more work in four hours of specifically being focused than a lot of people can do in a whole week. So when you really focus in on something, whether it's four hours or one day, you really can put in that work and Mm -hmm. create and be innovative and start a church. And that's that's super admirable of uh, you to just bring up and rest is key. Like, how did you find yourself in a season of overworking and then rest for a week or a month or two months? You set yourself up for that. You did real estate. You set yourself up financially. Why do you think that finances are such a stress trigger for people? Because not everyone knows how to be smart with money. And I want to talk to you about that. When you were in college, did you kind of get a grip on your finances or was it after you got your gig with Ramsey? Yeah, so don't don't be don't be mad at me here, but um finances is not a money, it's not a plus and minus issue. It's not a uh, debit credit issue. It, it's a hard issue. For me, I, I, little, if you take finances and you break it down inside your head, okay? This is going to... Don't get mad. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm actually being legit. No, I'm ready for it. Spend less than you earn. It's not like... It's not rocket science. Like It's like, do not... so. Don't pay interest, earn interest. Like it's not rocket science. So it is a heart issue. When I mean by that, I was like, doesn't mean you're a bad heart. Somebody's listening right now. They're mad at me. They're like, but turn off. I don't mean you're a bad person. I just mean that decision, what you chose is you chose peace now, pain later, rather than pain now and peace later. There's a reason why I'm in this spot right now where I can work or I don't have to work because I, instead of going to get ice cream or going to whatever, I put, I sacrifice some little stuff and put money away. And now my money makes more money than I can make. And so that's just a good place to be like, because of sacrifice earlier, I've always driven cars that were like five to 10 years old when I had money in the bank to go buy anything at any car dealership that I wanted to with cash. However, I drove a car that was five to 10 years old that was still dependable. And I made that choice. And my kids are always like, why are we driving this? Why are we driving this? Why are we driving this? I know because I just know what that money can do after over 10 years in the market. I just know. And so it's, it's a choice. What you do is, you know, if, if you choose peace now and to have the $600 payment, that's your choice. I'm not, maybe I'm not judging you, but it's a choice you made. And so, it's not really 
for me, it's always been a heart thing. It's always been like, do you want to leave a legacy? Do you want to leave something to the next generation? Um, do you want to do what first Corinthians 13, 22 says, right. To, to leave an inheritance to your children's children. Like, I, yes, I do. It's important to me. And when we make one, uh, short-term decision after short-term decision, and we're living in the YOLO kind of feel, right. What we're saying is we don't want to leave a legacy. It's not that important. So you're just making choices every day with every transaction. And for me, it goes even deeper than that. And I really don't want to sidetrack the whole conversation and be all about stewardship, but it, it's 10 times deeper than that. God literally trusts me enough with every single cent, cent that he gives me. He's like, I trust you with this. And so like, he literally is trusting me to manage his money. He's, I'm not managing my money. I'm managing his money. And so do, does that mean that I can't ever have recreation or I can't have anything? No, it doesn't mean that. But when I'm spending $1.25 for every $1 that I earn, I am not being a good manager. Mm-hmm. So for me, it all goes back to Psalm 24.1, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all his. I'm just managing for him. First Corinthians 4.2, so those who have been called to be a manager must prove faithful. For me, every transaction I'm asking myself, is this a faithful, a faithful transaction? Oh. And I always like to ask, and in this sense, I would like to talk about stewardship. If someone's struggling with mental health, whether it's uh, anxiety or depression due to their financial situation, what would a call to action be for someone that is struggling that they could apply today? Like nothing astronomical, like uh, we could send them to Ramsey Plus to do the um, financial peace university. But if someone's one-on-one asking Chris Brown, Hey, I'm struggling financially. It's burdening my family. It's burdening my children. I can't find a job. I've been on unemployment. What would your response to that be? So one is on the spiritual side and one's on the practical side. Okay. On the spiritual side, and they're both spiritual. Ultimately, um, the, the practical things that we do in life are spiritual. Um, but on the spiritual side, if you, pray about like seriously i'm not just saying just pray i'm not that's not that cliche answer specifically pray about your relationship with god on the management side so he's the owner you're the man you got to get that deep down in your heart here if you don't have it deep down in your heart you're never going to live it out you'll live it out for a week you'll live it out for two weeks you live it out for one transaction it's got to be so deep in there it is like a part of you can I, hopefully you can tell by the inflection of my voice this is like who I am. You don't get there overnight. Like, it takes a lot of conversations with God, my loving father that you trust. I'm so thankful. Many of us know this right now. If you know the Bible, even as I talk about this, you know, it intellectually. So you're actually inoculated to the real thing because you know it intellectually, but you've never known it with your heart. Like You're not heart deep in it. Like, man, yes. Like when I do the budget, like I'm man, I'm literally this, I'm literally the, the CFO for God when it comes to this budget, this micro budget. So I get it down in your heart and that takes prayer. That takes a lot of conversation with God. On the practical side, I hinted at it a minute ago, and that is a budget. Many people feel that, and you went to the mental health, you're going to feel this like uh, overwhelmed feeling inside of this lack of hope um, inside of you when it comes to your finances. And here's the reason why most people do is because you don't have a game plan. What you're feeling is you've got numbers all in your head and there's just like flying around inside your head. 
but you don't have like a plan. Like if you saw all the numbers down in one unified plan, I'm, what I'm not talking about is not an Excel spreadsheet with a uh, you know pocket protector and a calculator and don't turn into a, you don't have to be a nerd for this. Okay, just put down like a, we call it a cash flow plan if you want to. Call it a spending plan. That's really liberating, right? Yeah. You can call it like, name it after your favorite dog if you want to. I don't care what you name it because the budget's kind of a nerdy term. Just put down, here's what I make. Here's my major categories. Here's the numbers that go into those major categories. Here's what I have left. Oh, shoot. I don't have anything left. Okay, go back up to the subcategories. What adjustments do I need to make? Oh, shoot. I can't have that data plan. Nope. Right? I can't eat that kind of dessert three days a week. Nope. Right? I can't have that cable package. Nope. Right? You're trying to live like your parents with your parents' income, and you don't have your parents' income. All right, you're getting me preaching. Sorry, bud. No, I love that so much. And I think that would be a good note to just leave it on. Um, I know for a fact, like in high school, I was doing the envelope method. So I had a um, tack board where I just had envelopes on. And it's like, uh, what would a high school budget be? You got to think back a little bit. Entertainment, gas, car insurance, cell phone bill, like all of the things. And of course, I didn't have a mortgage at that point, didn't have an electric bill. Um, if you are in high school or college and you're listening to this and your parents are helping cash flow you, you know, that's a blessing. But a lot of us listening to this are on our own. Um, so if you are in that position and you're just struggling financially and you feel like it's affecting your mental health, putting you in depression, anxiety, take the steps that Chris is bringing up. Start a budget. It's not the hardest thing in the world. There is so much material available for free on YouTube and Facebook, wherever you uh, research Chris Brown on air, uh, Dave Ramsey, any of those guys, like most of the material is free. Uh, the radio show is free. Chris Brown's podcast coming out is free. His book is going to be free. Uh, the Well Columbia. Um, there's just so many people that are willing to walk alongside you. And I bring it up like it's the one year anniversary of Trevor Talks this month. We've got a big lineup. We, we've got Chris Brown here. Like we, I wanted this to be something that we haven't done as much before. We've talked about personal finance. We've talked about stewardship. We've talked about all of these little things and bits and pieces, but we haven't dedicated episodes to it. I don't have any other call to action for this. If you feel like you're stressed out over your finances or you want to get ahead of the game, start a budget, start practicing young. There are so many resources out there for you. And other than that, go follow Chris on socials at Chris Brown on air. You can find him at Chris Brown on air.com. And where can they find information about the well? Yeah. So it's uh, the well awesome, awesome guys go subscribe. If you're not subscribed, go check out Chris Brown on air, go to the well Um, I'm just super excited that you took time out of your day to do this with us, Chris. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, yeah, it was an honor. Thanks, Trevor. Of course. And this episode was brought to you by New Release Today. Go check them out. We love you guys, and we will talk to you next week. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. 
Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.